Morning crosswalk. Oh, wow. The, the love. Thank you. Love you too, all. If you don't know who I am, I'm Sam. I'm one of the members here, and occasionally they invite me to come up here. I want to say thank you to Pastor Ron for saying Samuel the way he does. It just, it just warms my heart. Usually when I hear it, I'm in trouble, but the way you say it, it just, you know, when Shelly, my wife, says it, it means you're in t- <laughs> Anyway. Um, Tim, Pastor Tim, assigned me the easy not complicated, universally understood topic of demon possession today. (laughs) So I just want to say, Tim, if you're watching, thank you for your thoughtfulness, your friendship, your love, and your care. Happy Sabbath. So a quick quick preface before we jump in, and we need to. Um, You've heard this before, and you're going to hear it probably several times while we talk about this subject. I am a pastor, I'm not a mental health professional. This room contains in it, I am sure, mental health professionals, people who have prepared themselves to deal with the real issues that we're gonna talk about today. So, I'm a pastor. Our role is to primarily to pray and refer, pray and refer. Matter of fact, I love that Tim mentioned this the other day in seminary, the, the final in a class that I took called pastoral counseling, the final asked one question, and the answer was pray and refer, and I remember that. I'll never forget it. So our role is to pray and refer. Unless you're a pastor who has gone on and received more training on how to deal with and help people with mental uh, challenges. So, so I want to say that first. Our, our main expertise is studying scripture, which we're going to do today and trying to find meaning in things that we can apply to our lives from Scripture. That is my main role today. So I want to encourage you again, if you hear things today that cause you to think, maybe I should seek help, you should and you must. Um, If you come to me today, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to refer you. Okay? All right. So let's dive in. This is the story that we're going to look at today. It's about a man who was demon-possessed that Jesus healed. It's from the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and it begins uh, in chapter 8, verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, they being Jesus and the disciples, and if you know the story, you know what's happened right before. Jesus and the disciples were crossing Lake Galilee, and a storm came upon them. Jesus calms the storm, and now, let's imagine this, um, it's now sunrise. They're arriving at their destination, the garrisons. This is where Jesus wants them to go. And so they're getting off the boat. And now we know what happens immediately after verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. The first and most important observation we need to make here is that Jesus travels to meet this man. He crosses Lake Galilee. He goes through a storm in Lake Galilee to meet this one person. He has no business being there. Let me tell you the many, the many barriers that Jesus is crossing here. First, the Gerasenes is in a region of the world where it's populated by Gentiles, which the Jews considered unclean. Second, we already know, this man he meets has an unclean spirit in him, a demon. So that's the second unclean thing. So region, the unclean spirit. Third, this man is living in a graveyard, which Jews considered very unclean. 
I, I added very. That's not really in the Bible, but it's unclean. Um, if there's, if there's a, a hierarchy of unclean, do not go near graveyards, do not touch bodies. So the man's living in a graveyard. And finally, we're going to find out later, a little spoiler, he's living near pig farmers. So these are all the reasons. This is the last place Jesus should be, all the reasons he should not be there. But Jesus goes. Why? Because there is no place on this planet that is God-forsaken. There is no place in this world that Jesus will not go to to rescue, bring life to, and heal somebody. And more importantly, there is no person on this earth that is beyond the redemption of Jesus. No person that is God-forsaken, no person that Jesus does not want to heal and to help. And so if, if you hear anything else today, please know this, that Jesus is still crossing barriers and boundaries today to go meet people where they are. And the challenge to you and I should be, where are we willing to go to love well? Who are we willing to go and love well? Which boundaries that are unclean for us are we willing to go and cross for the sake of those who need healing? You know, um, a thing we say around pastor circles all the time, and I think is even more true today as I read this story over the last couple of weeks, Jesus is not in the business of calling people constantly to a church or to, or, you know, to a place to congregate. and be. He's calling people to go out to go to the world. And here he's demonstrating what he does. And what I love about this story is that he's done it for one person. Again, another spoiler. At the end of this entire experience, we don't find Jesus proclaiming to a multitude and people turning their hearts towards God. It's just one person. He crossed the Galilean Sea. He went through a storm and he spent time in this region for one person. That's how much this one man mattered to Jesus. Well, let's go on. Um, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Okay, here we are. Here we are. Are we talking about mental illness or are we talking about demon possession? Is this man schizophrenic? Does he suffer from bipolar disorders? Is he paranoia? Does he have an addiction? Does he have some kind of obsession? Some kind of destructive habit that has led him to this condition? Is it demon possession or is it mental illness? I've got to tell you the debate is, is really not helpful. I mean, I'll tell you why. Because I've spent the last few weeks reading commentaries about this, and they're all in disagreement with each other. I spent time reading theologians. They're all in disagreement with each other. I've spent time reading sociologists. They're, they all have competing 
opinions about what's going on here. They debate each other, and so here are some conclusions that I would love to draw with you today. And by the way, some of these answers are not going to be satisfying, but we're not here to answer every question. We're here to explore these questions and see where God leads us. First, the Bible tells us there is a spiritual realm. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes this, and the Bible says that the demons that we're talking about today here are real. Now, it is possible that your worldview may not have room for this. And I want to tell you right now, that is okay. Are we okay? If, you're, if your worldview does not have room for this and you don't want to dwell on that, it's okay. I'm saying this because I'm also uncomfortable with some of the things we're talking about today. So much so, I told Pastor Ron, this has been a tough, tough two or three weeks. I even gave him my notes. Did you want to preach this today? And he said, no. <laughs> it wasn't even, let me think of it. It was, no, not doing that. The Bible tells us the spiritual realm is real. Demons are real. But it's okay if you're not in that, in that place right now. Because we're going to have lots of questions. Now, I want to talk about C.S. Lewis and two observations that are really helpful in this case. Lewis says that there's two dangers. One is that we disbelieve the existence of the spiritual realm altogether, entirely. That's one danger. And the other danger is that we believe in the spiritual realm so much and demons so much so that we become obsessed with that. Are you with me? Have you, have you encountered those two opposites in your life? Or maybe you're living in them that we disbelieve in that world so much so, C.S. Lewis calls that a danger because Scripture says that it, it exists. And then we have on the other end the obsession with it, which I think, if I'm, if I'm honest, probably we're more, we're more attracted to. We become obsessed with that world, and it is unhealthy, and it distracts us from what really matters, which is Jesus. So... So here's the, the middle ground that, that Suez Lewis presents is, look, this question, this issue is not complicated for Jesus. It's not. It's complicated for us, but it's not for him. He spends a lot of his ministry healing and casting out demons. So this complex conversation we're having today is not complex for Jesus. So here's what we know for sure is that Jesus encounters a man who has a demon. And here's the behaviors this man is exhibiting. This self-destructive behavior. He's trapped in this condition. And he's alienated from his community, his family, and the people that, that, that he knows and loves. Can we agree at least on that, that the behaviors that this man is exhibiting are... We, we can see that something is wrong with him. And so maybe it matters less how we define or describe demons... Because regardless of what kind of language we use, we had theological, biblical, or medical, or sociological, we know that we're talking about people who are hurting. And the things that they are doing to themselves are destructive. They are alienated from people that they, they love, their communities, and they are trapped in the conditions that they find themselves in. Isolated. Can we at least agree to define demon possession as those forces that have captured us and sometimes occupy us that prevent us from being and becoming what God intends for us to be? I do not believe, 
that all mental health problems are caused by demons. And the worst thing that happened here today is you walk out of here thinking that whatever mental health condition someone you know and love is going through or yourself is experiencing or things that you observe are all these, all these mental health conditions are caused by demon possession. That would be, that would be a bad outcome. Uh, nor do I think that all demon possession displays itself in a mental health condition. We're still good? Hmm. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I'm going to have to think about this a bit. It's okay. More on what I just said later about not all demon possession displays itself in me as a mental illness. Let's come back to Jesus. What does Jesus do with this scene? What is, how does Jesus address this problem? Um, I love this. Verse 30, Jesus asked them, what is your name? I've always thought that this is Jesus asking the demon his name. But I have found in the last few weeks of study that it's actually Jesus asking the man what his name is. What is your name? Who are you really? This is someone's son, someone's brother, someone's possibly husband, someone's possibly father. Who are you? What is your name? Is Jesus trying to begin to peel away all the layers that sometimes accumulate on people who are struggling with mental health issues. Jesus is trying to get past the diagnosis. This isn't an identity issue. He's trying to begin to part through all of the things that this man has been experiencing, and he's asking, let's, let's, get, back to, let's get back to who you are. What is your name? Is there, has there ever been a more loving, more gentle, more compassionate way to try to begin to help somebody. What is your name? Who are you really? You're lost in all of the stresses and the anxieties and the, 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 the illnesses caused you to lose yourself. Who were you before all this took over? What is your name? And I find it devastating that he has no name. We don't know his name. His identity is buried, except for what he is captive to. And this is why he says, Legion, that is my name, Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. So he wasn't even able to respond with his real name. The voices inside of him responded, Legion. Legion is interesting, the language that Luke uses here, because if you know about the Roman occupation of this area, they would know exactly what he's talking about. Legion means 6,000 Roman soldiers. That's the unit, the legion. It may be Luke's way of saying there were too many to count. That the, the things that were tormenting this man were so many that the spears that were tormenting him were so varied and so many, so multi-pronged was the attack on his soul and his life that it was... Legion. In other words, the sources of brokenness are so dramatically huge, there's just no way to begin to count them. And if we tell the truth, what ails us as humans is legion. The list is so long. Depression, anxiety, addictions, the traumas that some of us live with that inform how we behave and how we react 
how we live. We're not even talking about the bitterness and pride and anger and all the ways that legion has taken over and can take over our life. If we, if we allow ourselves to expand the definition of possession, by the way, I've, I've come to really dislike the word possession because really the devil does not possess us. He can occupy but not possess. If we can expand the definition of these occupations to include everything that conspires to keep us dead and living in these graveyards with chains on, then we could begin to understand the dramatic contrast between that, what Legion is trying to do to us, and what God offers, which is real life, real living, and we begin to understand the spiritual battle for our souls, which is what's happening here. Now, um, this goes on in um, verse 31, and they beg Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So here they are. The legion is now begging Jesus re repeatedly not to order them to go. So, so here's what I love about this, this verse is that it reveals that Jesus has sovereignty over the powers that destroy human life. This is what this means. That Jesus has power, as Luke is telling us this narrative, not just over the wind and the water that Jesus has overcome right before he gets to this, to this scene, but now he has, so he has power not only over the physical manifestations of chaos in the world, but also over the spiritual, the spiritual realm. Jesus is Lord of everything. And ultimately, this story is not about the demons. It's not about legion. It's not, about, it's not even about the de demoniac. It's not even about this man. It's actually about Jesus. This is what Luke is trying to lead us to, to understand this is who we're talking about. It is God with us with the authority to calm storms and the authority over legion. Maybe. So maybe um, I got up this morning thinking, what, <laughs> what, where is the how in this term? You know, sometimes we come to church and we hear we learn, you know, the, these moments in Scripture, but, but what, how, Sam, how do I keep from being invaded or occupied by these spirits? And, and here's the one thought I'll give you about this, as we've learned that Jesus is, in fact, sovereign over the whole world, sovereign over the whole universe, sovereign over even the realms and the spiritual world that we don't even understand. Maybe the one how I'll give you today is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Paul says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus. Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus. How do you do that? I don't know in your world what that looks like. Worship, pray, walk in the light. Whatever it feels like and looks like walking in the light instead of walking in darkness, do that. And then constantly, always, with your eyes on Jesus, hold every thought captive and obedient to Jesus. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. Now, let's, let's close this story, and then I'll draw some conclusions from it. A, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. 
Then those tending the pigs saw what had happened, and they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet. What a sweet, what a sweet picture. He was dressed in his right mind. And here's what's weird. Instead of being joyful or happy for him, what do you read here? What? I mean, they should have been af- afraid before when the man's running around with the chains broken, and you know, but they're afraid now? Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. That's not the reaction we're looking for, is it? Fear? Um, yeah, I mean, most, most of the time when this gets preached, the story gets preached, it's because you don't want to see your entire, it's an economic disaster to see your whole flock of pigs go down. The, even if you don't eat, even if pigs are unclean, do not eat bacon, do not eat ham, we're still good here, okay? Don't, do not, pig's still bad. If you, if you do eat pig, it's okay. Ham, bacon, and all those variants, whatever. Um, but the, the economic disaster is not really the only thing that is happening here. I want to read you a quote that's going to be difficult to hear, but I want us to process it together. Sometimes the terror we know is more tolerable than the peace we cannot imagine. Now, Garner <laughs> goes on to write more about this and it is a little risky because I don't want you to misinterpret, but I want you to hear the entire quote in its entirety. Is it okay to read it? Long quote alert is not going to be on the screens because I just decided this morning I was actually going to read it to you. So let's do it, let's do it together. Let's, let's hear it together. Maybe it means the shackles and chains that bind so many of God's children are the instruments of our own cruel making. The weapons we will to manage our own fears. Maybe it means that we settle for tolerance instead of challenging ourselves to love. Maybe it means the gospel doesn't always bring peace. Why are they afraid? Because it also brings upheaval, messing with our moral categories, economic comforts, and social structures in ways we find offensive. And listen to this last part. Maybe it means resurrection sometimes comes along and kicks our behinds. I said behinds. He said something else. It kicks our behinds so hard, we ask Jesus to leave us alone because we'd so much rather stay dead. And I wonder, I wonder, Crosswalk, if this is true of us, that sometimes the terror we know is more tolerable than the peace we cannot imagine. And sometimes I wonder if our lack of investment in solving the mental health crisis of our day is because we lack the courage of the world that's after we deal with this, to face it. And so we'd rather live with the terror of homeless people 
and the terror of people around us dying of addictions and because that's more tolerable than the peace we cannot imagine. You can tell that this quote, you can tell that this thinking has really, has really captivated me, has gone to my heart. So let's, let's complete this, let's complete this pericope. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent them away. Return home, go home, and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had, gone, had done for him. I love, I love that the first evangelist missionary to the Decapolis. <laughs> Can you see it? I mean, I see it in my, in my you know, the theater of my imagination. I see this man walking back into town with clothing on now, no chains, some scars going, hey, good news. The good news. How... How like Jesus is it to send the most unlikely person into town where they have known him as the crazy guy who lives in the, in the, in the gravesides? The crazy guy that for years has been running around terrorizing us. We can't even keep him, you know, put. How amazing is it of Jesus to send that man back to his own people to tell them good news? Good news. There is... There's healing. It's possible. That God wants life for you. Look what, look what he's done. Now, did this man understand what happened in his, in his mind, his brain, in his... We're barely beginning to understand what the brain is. <laughs> Would he have known this 2,000 years ago, the neurons and how they were? No. He just knew, I have new life. I have a future. I, I woke up this morning very early, very early, and thinking, I know that many people who are going to hear my voice today are going to walk away going, still confused, still don't understand, still full of questions, still afraid, still afraid. So I want to end by telling you a short story that has helped me all my life, well, for the last 20 years. And I know many of you have frameworks for trying to understand and come to a place of, of just rest and peace with some of the confusing things happening around us. But if nothing else you've heard today has made sense, maybe this little story will help you. When my son was uh, about a year and two months old, um, you know, putting him to bed one night and because we live in Riverside, California, the weather is pretty stable here. You don't have to check the weather to see if it's going to rain or nothing like that. You just know eh, it's going to be about the same. So I did not check the weather, and I did not know there was a huge storm coming. So I put him in a little onesie. He's so cute. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to speak yet. He's still in the... you know. So, so I'm telling him things that I want him to understand, thinking maybe he's processing this. Stay in your bed tonight, because at this point in his life, he couldn't walk yet, but he knew how to get out of his crib which is a problem because we'd find them sometimes in the morning meandering around the house like a Roomba and those, you know, just right. <laughs> so I'm putting him in, the, in his little prison for the night and I tell him, you need to stay here, man. Okay, tonight, are you going to stay here? He's looking at me like, I don't know who you are, man, but I'm getting out of here. So I walk away, leave the window open because it's 
kind of a warm evening. I go to bed, and I sleep soundly because, well, Shelly and I always argue about this. I, I am able to sleep completely soundly because my conscience is completely clear. <laughs> she hates me for it. And I always tell her, search your heart, search your heart. <laughs> I'm asleep. And the storm I just named comes through, and it was crazy. I'd lived in Riverside at this point for probably five, six years. I'd never heard thunder in Riverside before. <laughs> there's thunder, and there's wind. The temperature drops dramatically. And I imagine, again, in my, in my imagination, I imagine that the little Micah, little, little Micah wakes up and sees rain coming through his window, feels the cold. He's now trembling, freezing, and he's hearing and seeing light, hearing thunder and seeing lightning happening. He's never in his young little life seen or heard this. His world is just collapsing. Can you imagine it? And how does a little mind like that understand all of that? There's no way for him to process what is happening. It's just frightening. So he escapes the prison. <laughs> and he makes his way over to our bed because he knows that's where the other people live. <laughs> he, ma he makes it to my side of the bed. And in this moment of lightning and thunder, I wake up, I open my eyes, and there his little face next to mine, <laughs> shaking and trembling. I just, I'm like, oh, buddy. <laughs> and, and, so, and so I did this. I said, I'm sorry, Tio, there's a storm, and the, the weather turned bad, and the... Sometimes when these weather conditions and high depressions and lower to their manic pressure, blah, blah, come here, you're, I, as you're getting, no, I just opened my, I just pulled the covers back and I pulled them onto myself and I held them. And I said, I love you, Micah. And I could feel his little body trembling and beginning to relax and and he did not understand many things about what was happening. He did not understand the laws of thermodynamics and how my body, warmer than his, is now transferring warmth. And he just knew, not afraid anymore. Safe place to be. And this being, whatever he is, Whoever he is loves me, and he cares about me. And you may find yourself right now in a prison with scary things happening, thunder and lightning happening in your mind and your soul, and you have no way to describe it or explain it. Or maybe you have somebody in your life that's going through that, and, and maybe Everything I've said today just doesn't quite answer things, but can I just leave you with this thought? Get, get out of the prison. Get out of that place and go, and go find help. Even if we don't quite understand what the, the help that's being offered is going to do to our minds and to our bodies, go there. Get help. Get, the, get all the help. The help that science has afforded us. And then also come, come, to, come to Jesus. Your, the, the God of heaven and the universe who has sovereignty over the spiritual world, even if we don't understand all of it, 
and our language and our understanding fails to under, just fails to describe it. We know one thing. We know one thing. He will cross lakes to get to us. So just, just come to him. And even if you don't understand exactly how it all works, be warmed. Be warmed by him. Be warmed by him and hear him whisper your name. I love you. I love you. You're safe here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for crossing barriers to find us. Thank you for caring for us enough to cast out the legions that torment us. And thank you, Jesus, for offering us warmth in a safe place and and love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.